And we are live, man. I hope all of y'all had a good weekend. Uh, if you didn't know, and, and I didn't get to see you, uh, if I didn't get to if I didn't get to meet you or, or to get to talk to you in Baton Rouge, man, and and I missed you, I apologize. But I want to give a shout out to everybody I met down in Baton Rouge this weekend, man. I got to give a big shout out to Swack and a Fool. They had, they had a great tailgate. Uh, food was amazing. Shout out to Scotty for having the pre the the I guess the pregame show over over at another tailgate, and I met so many awesome people. So. Um, if I mean, if I met you this weekend and you stopped by and said what's up, I definitely appreciate you guys. It's still uh, still pretty surreal that people just can recognize me out in public and everything. And, and it was an amazing game, amazing atmosphere. And I want to say this after the game, I, know, I think there was a viral video that went around Twitter of the interaction. The student section, the football team and the band for Southern went absolutely wild. And it was it was one of the coolest. It was like one of the coolest and just amazing like environments that I've I've, I've been in this year yet. So shout out to Southern. Shout out to Rodney, the SID over at Southern, for hooking me up. Um, if you're looking for highlights, that's coming tomorrow. I I, I had to travel today, and I've been trying to get the show together. So highlights of the game coming tomorrow, and also photos will be dropping probably later tomorrow on the website and or early. Tuesday morning um, at the latest. I also got to get up my top 25 and, and some other things like that. But Southern was amazing. Baton Rouge was amazing. The weather was beautiful. After we started the year, I think it was, what, three for three damn near on rain games. The weather has been amazing. It was beautiful in Baton Rouge this weekend. And I can't wait to get back for another game. Crowd was electric. Everyone I met was, was awesome. So I just want to give a big shout out to all of you guys. But it was a huge weekend of college football from the FCS to the FBS level. I mean, and we can talk, well, we, we could talk about anything today. They, I mean, I, I want to give you guys a quick fact. Someone, <laughs> this is the first time Alabama and North Dakota state have both lost on the same weekend since 2007. It was the same weekend that um, Alabama and Nick Saban's first year lost to Louisiana Monroe it's the last weekend that North Dakota State and Alabama both lost on the same weekend. You also had the huge upset of Montana this weekend by Idaho. You had some outstanding performances. So it, it, it is it was a whole weekend full of amazing football. But here's what we're going to do. Players of the week to start to start out the show. We're going to go over just some like scores to know, not games I'm really going to break down in depth, but just so to up, update you guys on what has happened. We're going to talk a little bit about the HBCU weekend that was, go over some of the top FCS games in the country. And of course, we got to talk about the game of the week, which was South Dakota State's huge upset over North Dakota State, extending their streak over the Bison for to three years in a row now that the Jacks have got the Bison um in that robbery so huge huge call in number 701-779-9585 if you want to call in but offensive players of the week real quick we got we got to get to that first off we got to start with fred payton the mercer quarterback i never saw this coming in, in terms of his development he's in he's inserting himself in the back end of that walter payton race 383 Five passing touchdowns this weekend, completed over 65% of his passes and a huge win over ETSU this weekend for Mercer. I'll be at the Mercer-Chattanooga game this weekend in Chattanooga. I can't wait to see Peyton's game up close in this Mercer team that is slowly inching their way toward, toward the top five. 
Now, Dominic Roberto Furman, running back, was our other player of the week. 25 carries, 252 on the ground, averaging over 10 yards per carry. Three total touchdowns. He had two on the ground and one through the and one as a receiver this weekend for Furman in a in a big win for them as well. Finally, Willie Patterson, Montana State continues their role, potentially could be the number two team in the country this upcoming poll tomorrow. Seven catches, 148 receiving yards, 21, 21.1 yards per catch, and three receiving touchdowns for the Bobcats this weekend. These three guys put on electric electric performances so Peyton Roberto and Patterson are my three offensive players of the week now for defense was tough man I had a list of about 15 guys that I mean it it was just like a sack here an extra tackle there is really what all separated I'm going to ride with Charles Ike for Idaho State at linebacker Uh, 10 total tackles a tackle for lost had a forced fumble and two crucial interceptions this weekend for the Bengals, Charles Ike gets my nod for one of the defensive players of the week. Kari Manns, main defensive lineman, 11 total tackles, two for loss, one and a half sacks, and also a forced fumble in a huge upset win for Maine over Monmouth this weekend. I gave Manns the nod over some other people just because of the huge, of the magnitude of that victory for Maine over Monmouth and the CAA because a lot of people, including myself, thought that was a game that Monmouth should should have should have won coming in. And then Antoine Williams, Austin P linebacker. This guy has been one of the honorable mentions all year long. Nine total tackles, four for loss, a sack this weekend for the governors. Antoine Williams right now is making a is making a case for the A Sun defensive player of the year with this with the stats that he's putting up and the performances he's had. So look for Williams to get some all American votes. Currently, if if the season today, he'd probably be an FCS All-American and arguably has an, has a case to be one of the ace on defensive player of the year candidates for the governors, man. So Fred Payton, Dominic Roberto, Willie Patterson are the three offensive players of the week. Charles Ike, Kari Manns, and Antoine Williams are the three defensive players of the week for week seven. Now, just some notable scores. These are games I'm not really going to break down, just kind of touch on just because I know a lot of people in the chat who watch the show are interested in one of these teams or just the matchup itself. Lindsey Scott's return to Nichols went just as we expected. He had an, he had a, he had a, another huge performance this weekend against his former team, 327 yards, five touchdowns, And I think he had like 30 yards rushing as well, 27 for 36. Lindsey Scott continues to potentially build his lead for some voters in the Walter Payton race, 49 to 14 win for the Cardinals over Nichols State. And that was just a big game just due to Lindsey Scott's return to his former team on the road. And he he proved why they probably wish he was leading that offense currently. Mercer just talked about Fred Payton's performance, but 55 to 33 over ETSU. And not only did Fred Payton have a big game, Todd James is absolutely dominant at wide receiver this year for the Bears. Seven catches, 120, 120 through the air, and two touchdowns this weekend. And that's even with Devron Harper not really even having his best game. So Mercer's offense has taken that next step. That was that was one of the main questions is could Mercer be dynamic on offense? And the defense, even though they gave up 33 points, Isaac Dowling and Miles Redding had absolutely ama- had had amazing games this weekend. Dowling 15 total tackles, 
three for loss. Miles Redding put up 14, half a tackle for loss, and also had a big pick for the Bears defense. Mercer continues to roll. They have a huge top 15 matchup against Chattanooga this weekend. Campbell, a week before their big matchup this weekend for Jackson State's homecoming down there in the vet, 41-10 to demolishment of Robert Morris. And this is a game that Campbell's starters set out the second half. Um, and Haj Malik played the first half, had 253 touchdowns through the air, and the the Campbell defense had an outstanding performance. When Brevin Allen in two quarters, Brevin Allen did not play after halftime. Brevin Allen had three sacks, three tackles for loss, and an interception from the defensive end spot, proven once again why he has won the Big South Defensive Player of the Year two back-to-back years. He is he is that good. Campbell 41 to 10 over Robert Morris moves to 2 and 0 in Big South play going going into this weekend's Jackson State game. And then finally, I just wanted to give a shout out. Everybody, and I'll, I'll call myself out. Everybody thought Hampton was dead in the water going to the CAA. And no one really everyone was wondering how many wins or where could they finish against um against the CAA competition they go out here against an Albany team that you know I thought this was this was probably their best chance for a win but they overcome a large second half deficit get it to overtime and win a 38-37 battle with Albany and I got to give him to some credit Malcolm Mays is as inconsistent as he's played this entire season at the quarterback spot for Hampton four touchdowns over 200 yards through the air this weekend he did it he did it in a big way and also Darian Butts for Hampton 124 touchdown and averaging over seven yards per carry they had multiple running backs that averaged over five yards per carry this weekend and it was impressive and of course everyone knows his name already Jada Kiss Bonds seven receptions 92 receiving yards and two touchdowns Jada Kiss Bonds I think what if, if I'm not mistaken Scotty and there was also like I think the NFL Draft Network did a list of HBCU prospects both both of those, both of them had Jada Kiss Bonds in the top ten. He's had a giant year for Hampton, but Hampton gets their first CAA victory, and now you, no one can say they can't win in the CAA because they went out and did it in a big game this weekend. Now, those are just some games I wanted to touch on real quick. Some top FCS games of the weekend before we get to our HBCU recap in the upset of the week: Idaho knocks off number three Montana. On the road, and listen, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I did not see this one coming. I, I, I thought Idaho was good, but I, I thought they I thought they were probably a year away from competing with the upper echelon of the big of the big sky, especially on the road against a Montana team that was that was rolling at this point, man, undefeated coming into this game. You know the strength of schedule argument I can see but they were still they were still winning fairly convincingly outside of their last game against I believe it was Idaho State Giovanni McCoy for Idaho played out of his mind 286 two touchdowns for the Vandals and they made Lucas Johnson uh, it was probably his worst game for it was probably their worst game for the Grizz all season long 20 for 37 less than 200 yards two interceptions and he was just inconsistent. And also, Montana could neither well, really neither team, but especially Montana when they weren't getting good quarterback play, could not run the football. They had 
They had 18 carries for 34 total yards and averaged less than less than a yard a carry. It, Idaho couldn't run the ball either, but Giovanni McCoy was able to make some plays down the stretch. Lucas Johnson was not able to do that, and that was and that was the big difference. Marcus Knight, Xavier Harris needed to have bigger games for Montana. The leading rusher for them is Malik Flowers, and they got it to him on a on, on like I believe a jet sweep or some like special play. They, he he's not even a running back. And Hayden Hatton, nine catches, one fifty-two touchdowns for the Vandals, had an outstanding game. And Idaho's defense has to have a lot of credit. I didn't think they had that in them. And they went on the road against a Montana team that a lot of people looked at as potentially a a national championship contender. And Idaho goes on the road, knocks them off. Fave Fave had a big game. Paul Mawala had two big tackles for loss, a sack, and a crucial interception late in the game. He is, he he transferred, if I'm not mistaken, Mawala transferred in from USC. The Vandals playmakers made plays in big moments, and you have to give Coach Eck and that coaching staff a lot of credit for having this team ready to play and really being ahead of schedule. And when you're looking at the big sky now, Sac State has a gauntlet coming up. Montana State looks potentially as as they as they could move forward. Weber State is in the conversation. Now you have Idaho insert. Can Montana bounce back with the gauntlet that they have? The big sky is, is in major, major shambles right now in terms of projections moving forward. Now, Sacramento state, Eastern Washington, Eastern Washington has played the toughest schedule that I think I have seen, seen a team play in a very long time. In the first seven weeks of the season, Eastern Washington has played Florida, Oregon, Sacramento state, Montana State, Tennessee State, and um, they just had a they just had they've had an absolute gauntlet right now throughout their schedule. I thought Sac State didn't didn't play particularly well. Sacramento State fifty two to twenty eight. They still dominated. Their quarterbacks combined for one hundred and forty yards, two picks. They had t- they had they had some late touchdowns there, but it's all in the run game. And Cameron, the the running back Cameron Scadabo. 201, 6.9 yards per carry on the ground. And also Asher O'Hara, three rushing touchdowns this weekend. Eastern Washington's run game has been atrocious. They got they got carved up by Tennessee State, carved up by Montana State, and now Sac State has absolutely ran through them. The question becomes, can Eastern Washington's front seven stop anybody? Because in the big sky, if you cannot stop the run, there are some teams that are going to absolutely run the score up on you. And so Sac and so Sac State moves on, continues their undefeated season. But Eastern Washington, you're looking at that tough schedule, and it can quote unquote build character, show you what you have early, but it can also do what's happened to Eastern Washington. Have your team banged up, and right now, you're looking at Eastern Washington. Do you see potentially five wins on that schedule? And right now, I, I don't. So we'll see what happens there. Richmond pulls off the quote-unquote upset over Villanova. In my rankings, I didn't have Villanova ranked. But in terms of the FCS stats uh, perform poll, this was an upset. Richmond, a 20-10 to 10 win over Villanova. I thought this was a given. I didn't trust Connor Watkins. He went 11 for 26 and a pick less than 150 yards through the air. Reese Shudinsky did not have his best game, and Richmond still found a way to pull it out. I thought Richmond's run defense could have played a lot better. I was really surprised. I thought Tristan Wheeler in that front seven was a lot more stout and a lot more, I would say, disciplined against the run. 
but they gave up 106 yards to to the leading rusher for Villanova over almost 10 yards per carry. Aaron Dykes had a solid game. It just came down to which defense could make a play. And Richmond's defense just made, I would just say, crucial stops. They forced a fumble, had a big pick, and they turned those turnovers into points. So a huge win for the Spiders this weekend in CAA play. And then Rhode Island over Elon in a big upset. This one... This one was tough to watch. I, I'm not going to lie. Matthew McKay played terrible. 50% completion percentage, 130 in a pick. And you're and this is why a lot of people said Tommy Malott took over at, at Montana State. And Kasim Hill didn't play spectacular either. It's just this weekend it came down to Rhode Island running the football Marquise DeShields has been one of my favorite players to watch this season. 127 over seven yards per carry. This was a game where Rhode Island was just able to take the time of possession and run away with it. And I, you you really look at Elon. Me and, Co- me and Coach Fred talked about this on the coaching corner, if you guys saw this. Elon's that team that has been playing C-plus, B-minus football and finding ways to win big games. And if you consistently do that, you're eventually going to get caught. And I think this weekend was that reckoning where Rhode Island caught them. Elon played another not gr- another mediocre week of football. And this week, that team wasn't talented enough to overcome it. And Richmond was able to take advantage of the mistakes Elon made. And so Elon, um, Rhode Island, big win over Elon. Now, our Week 7 HPC recap, we'll start with the Thursday night game. Me and Scotty talked about it a little bit on the roundtable while this game was going on. This was just pure domination. And I I, I tried to tell people that Campbell matchup, football is a game of how do you match up with your opponent. Campbell was built specifically to take advantage of everything Central does. Central doesn't have a lot of size on the D line and they run a 3-3-5. That is a recipe for absolute disaster when you have an, when you have the biggest offensive line in FCS and you have three running backs you can rotate in and out and run it straight down people's throat. And 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 on the other side you you had no wide receivers outside of um oh man I'm blanking on I'm blanking on the guy's name. Right now, I think it's uh, Andrew Smith, number 22. He's the only guy that could get open against that Campbell secondary. This week, they showed why I still think they're going to run through the MEAC. I don't I don't see South Carolina State touching them. I don't see Norfolk touching them. I don't see Delaware State touching them. Howard, I think Central goes through the MEAC undefeated this year because right now they have the best the best team top to bottom, and they're, they're, they can also do it week in and week out, man. 59-20 win over Morgan State. Uh, Davis Richard, 217 and four touchdowns through the air and on the ground has 66 and another two touchdowns. And Latrell Collier finally showed up, 112 and a touchdown on the ground. I'm excited to see what, what, what comes next for Central. I thought they did a great job against Morgan. This week they, they traveled to South Carolina State, and if they go out there and beat the Bulldogs like I think they can – it's going to put a whole lot of people on notice, and don't and don't be surprised if Central breaks back into the top twenty-five with a win, with a convincing win this weekend over South Carolina State. Now, the game I was at, Alcorn State Southern, and this was a game of momentum because I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was sitting in the end zone. I was sitting next to some of the people from the Alcorn Sports Network. That first drive for Southern where they just went right down the field and threw that ball just I just I've, I haven't seen McCray play like that 
all season long. And they went right down there and scored. I said, uh-oh, this, this could get out of hand. Alcorn was able to reel it back in. Southern slowed up the tempo for some reason. This was – there were some bad calls in this game. I'm just going to – I never blame the refs for a loss, but there was there were some calls that on the sideline, even, even with some Southern people I talked to where they were like, okay, that's a little bit questionable. And I, I, I still haven't seen the, the official replay of that ball spot late in the game, but mm, it looked like he got it from where I was standing. I'm just going to be honest. He looked like he got there. And there were a few times, I don't know, I don't know what the TV broadcast looked like. Cause I, I just watched some highlights that, that weren't from like the TV broadcast, but Fred McNair was in the ref's face all night long. There was, I I, I forget what the call was. I think it was one of those offensive pass interference calls or deep or one of the pass interference calls. And Fred McNair during the TV timeout guys was all the way like in the middle of the field screaming at the ref him. And there were like two coaches with him. And I'm talking about, they yelled at the ref for no less than five minutes. I'm talking about consistently yelling at the ref. It was it was insane to see to see how passionate he was. There was Fred McNair. I've never Fred McNair never loses his cool. That was the first time I was sitting on the sidelines like, okay, he he looks like he is ready to absolutely explode. And I think there were some calls that I I agree with him. And uh, other than that, though, can I say this? The front sevens of both of these teams are are impressive. To see Jason Dumas do what he can do in person is insane man shout out to shout out to jason dumas too man he came up to me before the game uh said what's up and he had he, the way he makes an impact without padding the the stat box necessarily is 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 just you got to put two guys on him at all times you if you don't put two guys on jason dumas you have no shot to block him not as not a single shot and also corian harris looks like he's legit i think he had 10 tackles and a pick this weekend, and I thought I thought Southern's defense did a great job playing in the backfield. They sometimes they over pursued and allowed Howard and some of those running backs to get loose. But I thought the the defensive line played well. I think if I'm not mistaken, um, Givens for them had two tackles for loss. Cam Cam Peterson made some big plays from the defensive end spot. But Jason Dumas to me opens up so much of what that Southern team wants to do. And I want to and I want to give a shout out to another kid, Carl Ligon. I've been saying they need Kobe Dillon back ASAP. Kobe Dillon, I think, will unlock the full potential of the Southern offense because I, I I think Gerard Sims was fine. Carl Ligon really popped off just the field for me watching this game. He is so shifty, and and he as soon as he sees a, a crease, he can hit it and, and make a big play. I believe he was the leading rusher for Southern. I think he had like 90 yards rushing for a touchdown this weekend. And the play where he busted it for the big touchdown, the offensive line blocked it perfectly. The off the offensive guard got straight up to the linebacker, and as soon as he hit that hole, there was nobody there. I don't know where the safeties were, but when Ligon hit the hole, he took off. I think it was like a 30-something yard touchdown run. Jarvion Howard got – he had some plays, but he was held. He was held mostly in check. He was held under 80 yards rushing, less than four yards per carry. You have to give the Southern defense a little bit of credit. And when the game was put on the back of both of these quarterbacks, I said on Scotty's pregame show, it's going to come down to which quarterback 
makes the mis- that doesn't make the mistake to lose the game. The quarterbacks played fairly equal. Both had about 200 yards, two touchdowns, a pick. The difference was Aaron Allen got sacked five times, and also Alcorn was not able to convert on opportunities inside Southern Territory. They tried the 40-something yard field goal that came up like 10 yards short. And then they had to they had to settle for a field goal again in Southern Territory. And so Southern, when they needed to, played good defense in the red zone and were able to and were, and were able to get out here with the win. But I got to give I, I, the one critique, and I know this is going to piss some people off because I was talking to a Southern person on the sidelines about this, and they were like, "Blue, you don't understand." If I'm a Southern football player, I got to see the band in the parking lot. Southern's band consistently, consistently played when Southern had the football, and I'm and it's not just quietly because listen, I got to give Southern credit they they were loud. Ev- Southern had the football and they were having trouble in their own huddle calling plays because the band would not stop playing. And I was like, "What are we doing? Like you're making it harder for your team to win this crucial football game." And it's like, what are what are you doing? And at one point, the, the announcer had to tell the band to stop playing. It, it is, it, it kills me, man. I, I don't understand it. The way it was, the way it was explained to me was the band felt like it felt like it was their moment too. And so I, I get it. But if I'm if I if I'm if I'm duly, we got to talk. We got to talk because I, I can't have I can't be a third and seven and my own band is making it feel like I'm playing on the road and I can't hear myself think that just that can't happen. I understand it. But to me, that it, it was I'm not I wasn't even rooting for anybody in that game, but I was annoyed by it. I was like, your own team's about to get a delay of game because y'all won't stop playing. But other than that, man, the game was amazing. Southern gets the big win, takes and, and really and truly takes the lead in that West division. I, I got to ask you guys, do you think with Southern winning this game, because now you have Alcorn with one loss, Southern with one loss, and PV with one loss, Do who do you guys think is the favorite in that in that division? Because let me, let me remind you guys, PV does not have to play Jackson State. Southern and Alcorn both still have, both still have to play Jackson State. Um, this season, do you guys think if P, do you guys if PV beats Alcorn, do you think PV can still find a way to the SWAT championship? Um, I'll, I'll let y'all guys get in the comments um, and, and let me know. But right now, you have a you technically have like a three way tie right now, and two of the teams have to play Jackson State this year. And right now, I don't think either of them match up super uh, super favorably to to Jackson State. Let's see, Southern's going to make it out. Ways to flip a coin. <laughs> Southern is the favorite now. Damn it, all corn. PV have to play all corn, and they're not beating them. That's fair, Rube. PV, PV's not beating all corn. PV based off the schedule. PV's not better than Southern or all corn. PV, no all corn is Southern. PV might sneak it out. How? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tech. Well, Black uh, Black Pot. I don't think. Uh, they have two conference losses. If I'm not mistaken, didn't Texas Southern lose to Alabama State too? So right now, Texas Southern's a game behind everybody. Plus, they, plus uh, Texas Southern lost to PV, so they'd be behind PV in the tiebreaker too. 
Uh, let's see, PV, SU, I think Alcorn beats PV. PV will win the West. PV and Alcorn are the same teams. <laughs> I think SU, if they play their best ability, I like it. Hey, Coach Green, you did call it. I got to give you that. I have to pull up. You complain about the two bucks. I live in Mobile. Hey, that's fine, man. That's fine. Now, let me get to this caller real quick. I think they've been waiting. One, 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 two. You're live, man. What's good, man? Yes, sir. I've been trying to uh, get your opinion on this. If they, if MU win out, do you think they have a chance to make the play, playoffs again this year? Um, I answered this last week. It just depends on what okay. the bubble looks like. I think last year was perfect because Mercer lost a late game and there were a few teams that lost some late games they weren't supposed to. And I think it opened the door for FAMU to slide in. They just, they got to look more impressive though. A, a 20 to what was it? 16 win over Grambling. I don't know how impressive that is in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, for me, they one got to look more impressive and two, I do think they need a team here or there to lose. They're going to need – I'm trying to think who potentially could be on the bubble here. They're going to need whoever finishes second, third, or fourth in the SOCON to lose some crazy games. They need the OVC only to get one bid. It would be little things like that. I would feel more comfortable kind of giving you a real answer probably in about two weeks once yeah. these teams start playing. Okay. And uh, I have another question. Do you think we'll see the battle of two top 25 teams this week in Jackson, Mississippi? Sadly, okay, so I just to spoil <laughs> my top 25, I have Campbell at 25 this week. Sam Herter, okay. I think, has Campbell in his ballot. The problem's going to be I don't think Campbell will make the con- – or uh, what is it, the combined top 25, the FCS stats perform – the reason is because Idaho yeah. wasn't ranked, and Idaho just beat a, the number three team in the country. So if there's going to be a team jumping in, it's going to be Idaho. And so that's probably going to take some votes away from Campbell because Idaho and Campbell were probably about the same point on a lot of people's ballots. So I would expect to see Idaho jump in. Campbell will probably receive, if I had to say where they would rank, I think in the honorable mentions, if you extended it, there'll probably be about 28, 29 yeah. In the FCS stats perform. Are you going to cover this game this week? I won't be there in person, but I'm definitely going to cover it throughout the week. And I'm working on something tomorrow, no promises, but I'm working on getting head coach Mike Minter on the show to preview the game and have like a mini press conference here on the show. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, when would you be getting your prediction for the game? (laughs) <laughs> um, either <laughs> either Wednesday on the FCS preview and or Thursday when I drop my article preview and, and do the roundtable. Cool, cool. Yeah, work. But, man, hey, I appreciate the call, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to get to these other callers, but I definitely appreciate you, man. Hey, Have a good one. Keep, keep doing your thing, Blue, man. I'll let you, man. For sure. All right, I'm going to go Mr. Ford, then Steve. Uh, I'll be in Chattanooga this weekend. I'll be at Mercer Chattanooga this weekend. It will be the game I'm covering in person. 
Mr. Ford, you're live. Hey, this is Mr. Ford. Can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear, man. Okay, your last caller, I was in the midst of seven Florida A&M graduates yesterday at uh, Clark Atlanta's homecoming, and I asked each and every one of them, I said, listen, do you think FAMU's a uh, playoff team? And every one of them said, hell no. Let me tell you something. FAMU got some serious problems. The number one problem FAMU got is that they, they, uh, them coaches that left them, they haven't replaced them people. The number one person that's missing for FAMU is the guy that was doing the play calling on the defensive side. He left and went to Purdue. He's severely missed. The other person that's severely missed is the guy, Ryan Stachek. He was the offensive line coach. He went up to Tennessee Tech. He's missed. The other guy that's missed is K.J. Black. Even though people didn't think K.J. was doing nothing, K.J. was a, a mentor. Well, he wasn't a mentor, but he was another offensive head to put along with uh, Coach uh, Simmons. But the number one problem FAM got right now is on that coaching staff. That, that coaching staff has not jailed. That's why that game yesterday was 20 to 16. But let me say this here, Blue. Let me say this here. You know, Blue, I'm, you know I graduated from Grambling. You know who our biggest problem at Grambling is? Hugh Jackson. Listen, I watched that game twice. I watched it yesterday, and I watched it again today. Let me tell you something. That defense is fine. I ain't got no problem with Cedric Thornton. But on that offensive side of the ball, they're play calling. They just throwing some stuff up against the wall. Now we this is week number six or seven. I don't even know what our identity is. Are we a, a pounding ground team? Are we a running team? Are we a, a throwing team? I don't even know what our identity is. And the play calling and see now and and I'm a big fan of you. But now you're supposed to know this. Like you said, that little freshman boy from uh, Florida, uh, number four. If you're gonna play him. That amount of time, you got to play two quarterbacks. It's too much that boy can't do. You got to play two quarterbacks. Now, let me go on the southern. Let me just tell you this, Blue. Let me tell you this, him. And that guy asked you, was that a two, was it a, that game next Saturday going to be a top 25 game? If Southern University had a defensive coordinator that knew how to take over the game and, and take away the assets of the opposing team, let me tell you something. Southern University is going to give Jackson State out. Now, I'm not saying they're going to beat Jackson, but they're going to give Jackson State hell. Now, let me tell you what Southern got. Southern got depth. Southern got depth, especially on the defensive side of the uh, ball. But I'm telling you, as a defensive play caller, Henry Miller is so simplistic. See, this is what Southern tries to do. They won't do it to get the score up on it. And then they want to go real simple on defense and turn loose them defensive ends to bring pressure. Now, I ain't convinced right now with Southern's run defense. Now, let me tell you what they did. Somebody made the adjustment in that Alcorn game. They put six to seven players up in the box, and it kind of stifled Alcorn's running attack in the last part of the uh, third and fourth quarter. But I'm just telling y'all, y'all think Southern good now? If they had a defensive coordinator, now Henry Miller, he might be a good position coach and all that, and I think he is, but as a defense coordinator, uh-uh, uh-uh. Now, let me tell you this, Blue. Now, I don't, I've, I've been, I want to ask you this. Now, the word up here in Atlanta is y'all done already offered that Matt Rule $10 million to the Auburn people. Is that true? Not true at all. You heard no. anything like that? No. Um, they're, they aren't even going to they're, – they're, they're talking to coaches – and I know for a fact they've been in contact with two 
neither of them are rule. And the reason that one of the coaches, a.k.a. Lane Kiffin, might not be in the running is because he asked for nine plus. Auburn can't afford a $10 million contract. They're not going to pay that. And until they hire right. an AD, no, the no offers are going out. So that's completely false. Okay. So y'all ain't interested in Matt Rule. I don't, okay. So I don't know if there's not interest there because it's because they're going to give the hire up to the AD. But the fact that we've offered a $10 million contract isn't, um, isn't the case as of right now. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think about now? Tech just, uh, Georgia Tech just brought in the new, their new athletic director coming from the University of Alabama. You think he's going to bring Bill O'Brien and he's going to go with this young boy that's over here? What do you think about that? I hope so. I hope they go Bill O'Brien. I think. I don't think he, people you know, realize he how good of a coach George he is. O'Leary. He was George O'Leary's offense coordinator. Yeah. Well, so Bill O'Brien's a, a candidate, but don't forget about the um the guy who is, I think, the co-D coordinator, uh, Kelly. He's going to be a candidate for a bunch of jobs, and a lot of people are Charles tapping Kelly. him the and next Kirby Smart. Is it, what's his name? Is it Charles, Charles Kelly? Kelly? I think, yeah, Charles Kelly. He was at Florida State at one time. I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Watch out for him. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. He could. But uh, now, to me, Tech needs a person with offensive expertise. We can get a defensive stack. We need somebody that's going to bring offense to Tech. And I think that would be Bill O'Brien. Don't you think Don't you think the best person would be? He was at Penn State, did a good job, has NFL pedigree. Then he comes to Tech. That would that would automatically bring Tech's program up, wouldn't it? Because, see, the, the main thing that Tech is concerned about, and you know I, told, I talked to you about this, they are so pissed off about the success of Kirby Smart. Bill O'Brien probably could run a program opposite of Bill O'Brien. What, what, I mean, of uh, Kirby Smart. What do you think about that? I think so. I, I'm interested to see what Bill O'Brien can do when he's not coaching behind the eight ball. Because I think people forget when he stepped into Penn State, what he had to deal with early. And right. if he can get to Georgia Tech, finances back him, the people behind the scenes back him, recruiting in a huge talent-rich area in Atlanta and, and that that area in Georgia, I think Bill O'Brien would be a hell of a hire. Plus, he would, he would carry the yeah. name where recruits and people would know who he is, and when he walked into yeah. the living room, they'll listen to him. Well, and you know, the other thing I want to say to the president of Grambling State University, I don't want him to listen to none of them uh, detractors, the media, Doug Williams. They need to go get that man that was at uh, uh, Baylor, with the man they had that they let go. What was his name? What was that coach's name? Oh, um, the OC, Art Browse. Yeah, they need to go back and get Art Browse. And what they need to do is sign Art Browse to a two- or three-year contract. So if the coach leaves, Art takes over. That's what they need to do. Now, I'm going to close on this, too. Uh, listen, I know you're you waiting to do your show, but let me say this. I'm going to be severely disappointed if Jackson State don't kick uh, Campbell's behind. Jackson State's supposed to kick their butt. Okay? Listen, Blue, you have a good one, and thank you for letting me talk. Appreciate you, Mr. Ford. Okay. All right, we're going to go Steve, then Coach Green. Steve, you're live, man. What's going on, Blue and Steve? What's good? I told you about that Dakota uh, marker staying with South Dakota State. <laughs> hey, I've got uh, – so I didn't say anything because we haven't previewed the game. Everyone in the chat, there's like 250 people in here. Check the website. 
Blue Bloods Pod, the BlueBloodsPod.com. My score prediction for the game was South Dakota State 23-21. Wow. That was the sports of the game by just two points. Wow. I guess you won your old contest, huh, Blue? (laughs) Man, uh, someone texted it to me. Because, you know, I was covering the Southern Alcorn State game, so I was just kind of following on my phone. And right after the game, someone texted me and was like, was this your score prediction? And I was like, there's no way that that came out to 23-21. And it sure did. Yeah, I I even tweeted Sam Herter. I was like, yeah, we're out here doing it. Okay. And let me ask you a question. Do you think North Dakota State will see get a bye week for the second round or – they don't have to pay as at-large bid in the, um, Missouri Valley. Um, looking at their schedule, so I talked about this at the end of my show last week. I don't see it. T- there, there's some trap games. I don't see South Dakota State or North Dakota State losing for the rest of the season. What I think would happen sure. is I think South Dakota State will get the one seed. The two seed is going to be whoever wins the Big Sky. And North Dakota State will get that three seed, and they'll still get the bye week. I just can't see North Dakota State falling. If North Dakota State gets beat again, then there's a different discussion. I do, I do think, um, I do think North Dakota State still gets a bye week. Okay, okay, good. Well, let me do a shout out to Mr. Campbell, my Rattler, my Rattler alum, uh, uh, Rattler Strike Back. You have a good evening, uh, Blue. Hey, appreciate you, man. I will go Coach Green, then I think uh, then 5518. Coach Green, you're live. I know you're feeling pretty good today, man. Uh, so no Tylenol today. I, I know you're going to come on here and, and let everyone know about those Southern Jaguars. Mm, let me see. You know I'm feeling good. I called it. You know, I told y'all. I told y'all on Scotty's show, told you on your show. One, two, Three in a row after that TSU loss because you know y'all was on my boy's bag. Y'all was on my boy's bag, but I told you, and duly we trust. That's all I had to say. And duly we trust, and we came through. We came you through. You guys played a hell of a game, especially yeah. early. I don't know where that passing offense came from or what defense Alcorn State was playing. They had to make an adjustment quick. I don't think they expected you guys to come out there throwing the football like that. Nah, they didn't. They didn't. You can tell the way they was playing, they didn't expect that. They didn't see that coming. They were looking for us to come out there and, you know, dink, dunk, run, and all that. But, hey, we, we duly went all out for that one. He went all out. And then, you know, they decided, the second half, he decided to slow it down, which is which is understandable because, you know, the offense is Jekyll and Hyde at times. So I, I ain't blaming for slowing it down some. You know, not to go up tempo too much. You know, because that dog on Oracle, man, they, they ground and pound. But our defense stood up. Our defense stood up. But I think the biggest thing that hurt us, didn't one of our cornerbacks get hurt, one of our big-time cornerbacks get hurt? Um, I don't know how long. I think he, one of them got like banged up, but I'm pretty sure he came back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Now I was just wondering because you know, because uh, the other guy was out there. They they kept on attacking him. 
So I, I, I just assumed we were probably missing somebody because that one guy gave up them deep passes. They they attacked, they found him and took him out. Uh, I just think that really and truly, I, I know we play safety. I just think they were trying to throw it away from Corian Harris. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes, David's right. I saw – okay. I guess I'm not breaking any news. I got a picture of the brothers after the game. Benny McRae was mm-hmm. wearing like a what's it called, like a leg compression thing. So he might have torn mm-hmm. something in his knee. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I, I didn't want to really break it, but I do have a picture, and I, I don't know if it'll be released or not. But um, he was wearing something on his knee after the game. Yeah, I thought so because the guy they attacked, they attacked nobody else. Put that one person, and they they got some big catches off that. But I'm I'm gonna disagree with uh with, uh, with old school man. I gotta disagree with them. Our defense took care of that 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 Russian attack that uh Arcon have is tough, and we did a hell of a job because we kept Howard to two yards per carry. Because that boy, whew. He scared me a few times when he broke one, but we somehow got him and tripped him up every time. Every time he broke one, we tripped him up. But he was scaring me, though. He was scaring me because – He runs whew. mean. Man. I'm telling you, it, it, and it, he runs it. like I would imagine Jason Dumas would run if you handed him the football. He runs the football yeah. like a defensive lineman. I mean, he is – he seeks out con- – like, there's sometimes where I feel mm-hmm. like he can break it, and sometimes he mm-hmm. just seeks out contact just to instill, like, the hurt on the defense. Because the thing was, when they got him going down here where he could do a cutback, when he could do a cutback, that's when he's most dangerous. But when they just like trying to do a toss sweep, they take away from it, they take away from his power because he got to go slide. He got to, you know, he's trying to avoid people. But when they get him to him down here where he could cut back, that's when he's most dangerous. Because man, he threw one person off him, but somebody got him by the leg before he even took off. I got to give you guys but, credit. The pursuit and the speed. Of Southern's defense is something that I, I I don't think anyone's really addressed, and that's that's what you talked about. As long as someone can get a hand on someone, you have a mm-hmm. if you can hold them up for enough time for the defense to pursue, they do that really really well, and I, that goes down to coaching because they do have a great defensive coaching staff, especially at the positional level. Uh, like the D line coach was at Clark, and some of those guys they yeah. can really coach yeah. at a high level. So I I think that speaks to that defensive speed, that defensive instinct and pursuit. But I'm going to tell you this, though, because uh, we got Jackson. We, you know, I am talking, you know, I'm, that's, this, this is a bye week coming up for us. I, I call this a bye week because we ain't playing nobody. We're going to have to be more disciplined on that line because sometimes we get out our gaps trying to pursue the quarterback. And we're going to have to be more disciplined when we play. Do you guys play Lynchburg this weekend? Yeah, man. Yeah. Did you see Lynchburg that game? Just, just way off topic here. Did you look at the box score of them in South Carolina State? No, nah, I didn't even look at it. I didn't even watch the game. Uh, I, I knew it was on ESPN. I didn't even waste my time watching it. Hang on, let me let me double check. But I'm pretty sure for the entire game, South Carolina State held them to like negative twenty total yards. Damn. Hang on, I, I'm about to double check real quick, you guys. I just I want to make okay. sure. So, yeah, uh, so yeah, 
Total offense for Virginia Lynchburg this weekend, they had negative 22 yards of total offense for negative 0.6 yards per play, and they had eight penalties for 77 yards and four total first downs. Two of them were because of South Carolina State penalties. Damn. Grief. That's oh, yeah, brutal. Bruce. I want to give you props too, Bruce. You called the perfect score. Like, nobody saw you calling it that perfect. Because when I looked at the score, North Dakota State was up. And I was like, oh, they about to win. So I just moved on along because I said, they about to win that game. I said, I ain't going to worry about it. They about to win. Next thing you know, I see a score pop up. I'm like, hold up. This gotta be this gotta be a misprint. And then somebody oh Twitter or Twitter say Blue called the exact score. I say no he did. And then when I saw it, I like, damn, that boy's on the money. Man, at the first top well, I, I think I did one like a while back when we weren't on YouTube. Like we just had like the podcast, but no, I, that was crazy. Cause I mean twenty three twenty one and I mean I just kind of guessed I, I do I do a lot of my score predictions. So when you see like the my score predictions always look at the the points differential because I kind of base it off of okay, well if they're a seventeen point favorite, I think they're going to cover it by this much. Mm-hmm. I, I ma- mainly base my score predictions based on point spreads, and I was like, I, I, I got I like South South Dakota State by about two to three, and I was like, I'll just go twenty three twenty one. It just happened to work out like that. It's insane. Yeah. So what did you see for you to say South Dakota State was going to beat them? What did you see? Um, so coming into the game, South Dakota State allowed none of the first however many opponents to run for over 100 yards. So I thought they were going to be able to slow down North Dakota State's rushing attack, while North Dakota State has allowed 100 yards rushing, I believe, every game this season. So I thought Isaiah Davis in that running back room with Mark Gronikowski being a little bit of a more trustworthy quarterback than Cam Miller was going to be enough to – pull it out and also the front seven for South Dakota State is legit. Adam Bach and some of those guys in at the linebacker spot are future NFL players. And I and I think that's what happened for the most part. I'm, I'm gonna talk about it in just a minute, but I thought South Dakota yeah. State had all the necessary things to take advantage of North Dakota State's weaknesses. Same same thing that uh Central versus Campbell had all about matchups. Mm-hmm. And I thought Campbell was built perfectly to take advantage of what Central doesn't do well, and that's what and that's what happened on the field. It, and I tell people all the time, looking at records is fine. Looking at past games, fine. What does a team do? If you can tell me what a team does well, what a team doesn't do well, and I give me that, give me that for both teams, I guarantee anybody could probably pick games at a 60-70% clip just based on that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then this is my final uh, question. Is No matter what the head coach at Auburn do, he's done pretty much, huh? No matter yeah, he's, how he he's, he's fired. Right? He could win out and he's gone. Man, y'all, what, what's the issue with Auburn, man? Because they don't keep coaches long. They'll have a winning season, then they could have one or two bad years or be mediocre or okay, and they just get rid of them. Y'all going through coaches like y'all go through draws, man. I think it's the problem of the two biggest rivals for Auburn being at historic highs of their program history. When every year, because it's just like Southern and Jackson State, 
Southern fans are not happy if Southern mm-hmm. is behind Jackson State. No matter how high or good Jackson State is, Southern fans are like, if you're not beating Jackson State, it's a problem. Same, mm-hmm. same with Grambling. And you, those are your two biggest rivals. If you're not competing with them, you're not, you're not happy as a fan base. So if Auburn's not competing with Bama and Georgia – it's an issue, and that's got to be changed. And also, Harson was never a good cultural fit either. Being from Boise, you know, being from out west, and he, the narrative was he thought he could recruit like he was at Boise, where he could find, um, he could find under the radar three stars, lower four stars, and compete in the SEC. And that's not how it works. He thought he could use the Boise mm-hmm. model of recruiting at Auburn. And when you're competing with Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, LSU. You need as many five and high four stars and talented kids out of high school as you can get, and player development comes second at that point. And he doesn't understand that. And I just thought his staff and him weren't a great cultural fit for uh, for anything. So I, I think it was more. It's going to be even if he won out. Like let's say, what well, I don't know what our even our record is right now. If he went, if he gets bowl eligible or beats Bama or whatever, Auburn and him will mutually agree to separate ways and he'll go get another job somewhere. Do you think it hurts? Do you think it worries some coaches to go to Auburn because the underhand stuff they try to do, like they try to like, like deface that man, bro. Like lie on him. Yes. A thousand percent. It, it, you know, and I might, I, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I, mm-hmm. I like to put myself in, in their shoes. If I'm a coach, and I want to have an opportunity. And listen, I mean, Auburn in the SEC, a historic top 15 program, yeah, it'd be a dream job. But I would have second thoughts in the back of my head and like, okay, are they going to try to railroad me behind the scenes? Am I going to be able to get along with Jimmy Reigns and that booster? And if I had a, a similar offer somewhere else, that would be more appealing to me than coaching at Auburn just because of the politics behind the scene. That's probably why Kiffin fights himself out like that. Yeah, and and if you're Kiffin, you got to look at it this way too. Lane Kiffin is comfortable at Ole Miss. Ole Miss has not been a historically great program. If Lane Kiffin wins nine, ten games a year, occasionally beats Bama, competes for the SEC West, he'll never get fired. Why would he leave that safety net getting paid well with the expectations not as high and leave for Auburn where – Gus Malzahn got fired after like an eight win season and beating Bama yeah. multiple times. Why would you leave the comfort and the security of the job you have and take a big risk like that? True. It is true. Well, that's all I got for you, Lou. Appreciate you, man. All right. Five, five, one, eight. You're live. Hey, what's going on, Blue? What's good, man? I ain't nothing, man. It's DJ in Atlanta, man. I just want to like, tell you good job you're doing. Man, I like your show because you're the only guy I see out here that's not biased. But anyway, I want to speak on that Jackson State game. Yeah, go ahead, man. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're yeah, good. I was, I was one of your observations, man, what you think. I if Jackson State, I've seen them three times in person, three times on TV. The one thing I notice is Shadur do not like pressure. And when I seen him against South Carolina State, that was the best coaching job I ever seen in college. And the coach just set his DBs in a certain spot where they was running, 
running a pass pattern, and they just rush your door. And I've been noticing, uh, I guess I went to Alabama State game homecoming. When those guys are rushing him up the middle, man, I don't see him completing a pass over 10 yards with a fishing rate of 50% or more. I just want to get your opinion on pressure because he reminds me of Alec, more of Alex Smith than anybody. Can't throw it more than 15 yards, but he's good, got a good quick release. Okay. Uh, I get what you're saying, and you're like, I feel like you're on the right track, kid. Now, I will say there's not a quarterback out there who performs very well when they get constant pressure. And that's why I say the key to beating Jackson State is forcing Shador off his square in the pocket, getting him out of the pocket and hitting him, making him uncomfortable where he's like, I don't want to get hit like that again. And that's for any quarterback. That's how you beat Tom Brady. That's how you that's how you beat Peyton Manning back in the day. That's that's how you beat Patrick Mahomes. Like and, and you know, unless you have a quarterback like a Lamar, a Kyler, someone who can get out of the pocket and if you bring too much pressure, they can escape out of a small, you know, like a what do you want to call it, like a hole in the line and they're gonna roast you like a Jalen Milrow for that they have at Bama. If you bring too much too much pressure, he's gone. Shador doesn't have that aspect. Tom Brady doesn't have that. Aaron Rodgers, the way to beat a pocket-passing quarterback that makes good decisions and gets the ball out of his hand quickly is to get pressure on him. And so I think that's 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 a key to beat Jackson State. Now, for Davius Richard, might be a little bit different because he's 6'5", and he can run and get out of the pocket and, make, and beat you with his legs, and you might have to be a little bit more disciplined in your rush lanes. But I do think you're right. The way – the way to compete with Jackson State and slow down that offense is to hit Shador and make him make his eyes go down because if he's able to just one, two, three, read, one, two, read, or whatever, he's going to pick you apart every single, every, every, every single time. Yeah, I, I would give him credit. He does read the defense good. I just don't see him as, a, as the pro potential that everybody sees. I, I watch him, I, I really watch his mechanics. I just don't see it because his accuracy over 15 yards, even without pressure, to me, unless the guy's wide open, I don't see it. But jumping, jumping on the same subject, what do you think about how as a team player that he's still in the game when the game is out of reach because these other guys practice? And it seems like every time they get within five yards, they're throwing a touchdown pass. Touchdown, I mean, throwing the ball to the wide receiver. To me, they're padding should do a um, stats. If I'm a running back and I don't run the ball down to the four-yard four line, three-yard line, give me the ball on first down. What's your take on that? Um, you know, I can't speak for anyone at Jackson State, but – No, no, I'm just an observation. It, do you think they're trying to pad their stats? I mean, potentially. But, I mean, at the at the same time – I'm of the mindset, and I, I've been vocal. Everyone can tell you since this every, – everyone in the chat can tell you with the FAMU-Alabama A&M situation, with the Jackson-Alabama State situation, with with there's multiple FBS situations that I've covered over the four years I've had this show. I don't, I don't care about running up the score. If I'm a coach, I want to be like Houston in what, the, the early 90s, late 80s? I want you to look up at the scoreboard and feel upset that you played that bad. Like I want to, I want to throw for nine hundred yards like some of them old Houston quarterbacks were. Like I want you to leave feeling disrespected, and that's just me. 
So I don't think there's any problem with it. And it's just a difference of opinion. And, and when you're when you're hyping them up for the Heisman, you're hyping them up for the Walter Payton, and you see Tim Demore at throwing for 550 and Lindsey Scott going for seven touchdowns and 400 plus yards. I just I want to I want to make get make sure my guy has the same opportunity. So I don't see any problem with it. But if I'm a running back, yeah, I, I might wish I had more carries, but you knew what you were signing up on. We knew what Brett Bartoloni's offense was. We know what Jackson State wants to do. And I'm a huge fan. And I'm not a Jackson State guy or whatever. I just kind of cover cover the swag. I'm for running it up and I'm for putting the ball in your best player's hands. And let's just be honest, that's Shador Sanders. Yeah, well, I agree. I, I definitely agree. I just think sometimes when it's 48 to zero and I don't practice as a backup quarterback, but I, back, I just want to get in for a play or two. I understand I, what you're saying. I, I definitely I'm feel that. Now, if I was a, if I was yeah. a backup, I, I, I might feel a certain way. And I think that's why uh, Prom was so adamant against the whole Eddie Robinson situation. Like, yes, we threw the ball on first and 10, but we have a backup quarterback who works his, his, his ass off to get out there and have an opportunity. So I don't mind people throwing, throwing the ball up late because at the end of the day, the game is 60 minutes and I want everyone who practiced all week long to have a chance to do everything they practice. So those backup wide receivers, I want them to be able to go out there and run and run that go route that they've been practicing all week long. And we're going to air it out and give them a chance to compete. And on the flip side, if you're a coach and you're mad about a team running up the score, have your players prepared, tell them, and it's still, we, we got 45 seconds left all week. All coaches preach are we need to play a complete 60 minutes of football. Tell them to go out there and play 60 minutes of football. Then you know what I mean? That's that's kind of that's right. how I look at it, and I know there's quote unquote coach coach speak or coaches rules behind the scenes, but for me, I, I'm down for playing a complete sixty minutes, and whoever's on the field practice all week long to go play. Let them go play. I'm not going to hold anything back just because you're going to get your feelings hurt that you couldn't stop me. Appreciate you, uh, man. I will be in there for homecoming this week. Hopefully, they'll pull this thing out over Campbell. I think the one thing, um, I think if they stick with the running game a little bit more, mix up the running game, I think they have a chance to beat Campbell. I don't think they can beat Campbell going and it out, all, all out. I think if they mix it up, I looked at Campbell, I looked at that North Carolina Central, I looked at the other games, them boys, some big boys, I just think if they mix it up, they got a chance. One of those wide receivers got to catch a short pass and take it to the house. Hey, Blue Man, appreciate you. Take care. Hey, appreciate you, man. All right. All right, um, I'll go five zero five nine and then five nine three nine. Five zero five nine, you're live. All right, uh, hey Blue, what's going on? What's up, man? Hey, just a, a few things. One, I heard the caller talking about Shadur and and the way he's throwing. Shadur as a sophomore has an exceptional mechanics. Everything from he keeps his knees up under his shoulder pads. Um, he throws the football with his legs. He he pushes through, um, brings his arm through his non-throwing arm. It stays up by his face. His mechanics are spot on. When people say that his mechanics are off, I don't know what mechanics they're talking about. 
but everything that he does from his non-throwing hand to his, his feet to his hips is all spot on. Do you see something different? Because everything I know about a quarterback and quarterback coaches, he's doing everything spot on. Yeah. Um, for me, I've said this. He he has NFL potential, and I, I've said this so many times. I, I think we've talked about this before. I get grouped into this, like, hater category for Jackson State just, like, by default. But I've consistently said I think Tim DeMora can play at the next level. I think Lindsey Scott can play at the next level, and I think Shador can play at the next level. And then we'll see about, the, you know, the Matthew Solkas and guys like that who are also young. But I have not seen a player as a sophomore – look as polished and composed as I've seen Shador in moments. And, and that's something that you can't teach. And I think it goes back to and guys talk about how do you perform with the light when the lights are uh, brightest. And I think because of who he is and who's his dad and everything like that, he's had to perform when the lights are the brightest when they usually wouldn't be bright for other people, if that makes sense. Because, yeah, he, I mean, I mean, when when I look at his mechanics, everything that a throwing and quarterback coach wants from a quarterback, he's doing it as a sophomore. And that's the thing that you even brought. He's doing this as a sophomore. They are juniors and seniors that are nowhere near the level of his mechanics. Um, last thing, the air raid offense, people keep talking about Jackson State and, and having a balanced pass attack you know most people consider Mike Leach the father of the air raid attack and in in 20 seconds here's the concept of a balanced run pass in the air raid attack according to Mike Leach Mike Leach wants his running backs to have about 1400 yards and then he wants his his uh x h y and z receivers to have about a thousand each now that's not a thousand uh, 1,000 yard, uh, four receivers. But if you got three guys playing the X and each one of them have 350 yards in a year, that's, uh, that's your thousand. But a balanced attack is you got a running back and four wide receivers and getting all five of them, the ball in a balanced way. That's the balanced attack in an air raid. It's not a running shoot. It's not West coast. I th- I mean, So I think outside of the Tennessee State game, Shador has done a really good job uh, spreading the football out because we've seen Willie Gaines be the number one guy. We've seen Shane Hooks be the number one guy. We've seen Dallas Daniels be the number one guy. I feel like he does a pretty good job of spreading it out a little bit. And and even I think what happens is people fixate on – Shador, what is he doing? What's his stats? What is this? And so sometimes I think they overlook how much Jackson actually runs to football. Like last week, because let's just skip this. Let's go. Let's go to last week against Alabama State. I was at the game. There was people on my live stream saying, "Why didn't Savion get more carries? Why didn't this person get more carries?" Savion last week had like twenty carries, which is pretty good, and that's even more than than a lot of running backs get. And this weekend. Jackson State had 34 rushing attempts to 48 passing attempts, which, I mean, they passed a lot more. But, I mean, 34 rushing attempts is is a lot of rushing attempts, and they rushed for over 200 yards. So, 
I, I think Jackson State is a bit more balanced than people like to like to give them credit to be. And it's just because Shador gets so much hype. I just think people fixate on that and don't actually look at it from a macro perspective of what does the overall offensive play calling look like? Well, I think that also blew, but I'm just be you know, very transparent. I think we have people that watch football and we have people that understand football. Um, Jackson State is running the air raid offense where 10 personnel is the standard personnel grouping. That's one running back, no tight end. And that mixture of run to pass is a ratio between the running back and the four wide receivers. And people are, are confusing the air raid offense with a conventional offense. Those conventional offense rules do not apply in the air raid offense. They are two different things. And so if you get the conventional offense, you know, balance run pass, and you try to apply that in an air raid offense, you're going to be totally off. And so, you know, I don't know if some people need to spend some time to go, hey, what's the difference between the air raid and conventional and balance run and pass? So I think there's a, there's a confusion there and there's a little bit of misunderstanding that I guess just have to coach yourself or, or learn for yourself. That That's the way I see it. Hey, man, I, I, oh, hang on, my bad. I actually have myself muted. Hey, man, I appreciate the call. Hey, have a good one now. Now, <laughs> um, I'm going to go 5939 and then 9868. But real quick, I do want to say, I see the comments. I was I was about to go there. They have Jackson State puts a tight end on the field a lot of times. They just don't always line a tight end up where some people would imagine a tight end is. They use their tight end in a very versatile fashion. The tight end can line up outside. The tight end can line, line up in the slot. The tight end can line in, in, in at, at the H-back spot. Like, I mean, they have a tight end on the field a lot of times. So, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I just wanted to say that. I, I don't think the tight end thing was, was a, was a very valid, valid criticism of Jackson State's offense. Because if you go back and look at the film and look at the snap counts after the game, the tight ends have a lot of snaps beside their name. I'm just going to let y'all know. I'll, I'll bring, um, I'll bring the snap counts the, the next live stream, but there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of 11 personnel uh, for Jackson State's offense. Five nine three nine, you're live. Hey, what's going on, bro? This is Matthew from Minneapolis. What's good, man? Oh man, just excited. Um, just excited, trying to be an objective JSU alumni fan. Um, it's it's homecoming week, man. Um, and just man, this sixty minutes has has, has kind of got me. You know, just, just feeling good, amongst other things. Wanted to talk with you, Blue, about how would you critique the offensive uh, line play of Jackson State. Um, and then I also want to know your thoughts on uh, if you got a chance, if you had a chance to watch it, the um, South Dakota State and NDSU game. And, like, what, like, also can you speak to, like, your opinion on like some personnel decisions that Jackson State does on offense, and, um, not necessarily on defense, but more so on offense. Um, Campbell, I have a few. 
I watched the East Carolina versus Campbell game, and they are very big. Um, and I did watch the uh, North. Uh, I think I watched two quarters of North, the NCCU versus Campbell game. Um, their their offensive line is very big, and their quarterback Malik Hodge was he, he? He looks very good as well. I just I just don't know if they're going to get in rhythm with that up tempo. Um, and I don't really, I don't really think that they're going to be ready for like, uh, you know, Thurman slash Zimmer's exotic blitz packages. And, you know, uh, word on the street is Travis Hunter is back. Uh, and you saw, uh, you know, when, when it looks like Doyle is back, uh, number Reynolds, number 95 is back. And I don't know if, if Campbell has faced, you know, athletic DNs um, like they have with Jackson State. So just wanted to know those. Just had those questions for you, bro. All right. So hang on. I'm going to keep you on the line because just so – so the first question was just kind of to talk about the Jackson State offensive line play, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I've said this a few times. I, I said it last week because I got to – I got to see them up close and in person. Um. Their run blocking has been a lot better. It, it, I, I attribute it mostly to they know where they need to go. They get there quickly, and when they get there, they absolutely come with bad intentions. And so they're able to move people off their spot a lot more efficiently than last year. And usually the we're so far this year, the communication has been a lot better than last year. The one problem I do have with pass blocking, and I talked to um, a handful of people, a handful of people, including a parent of one of the players, and he said one of the things that they still are having problem with problems with are those type of let's pick up that and just the chaos fronts. And what I mean by chaos mm-hmm. fronts is when they're walking people down, the defensive linemen yeah. are standing up. So some of the stuff that like Alabama State threw at them, and and even some yeah. going back to last year, South yeah. Carolina State showed. The fact that they're not able to understand that when, when you have a chaos front like that, communication is key. So when they when they stunt, when a player that they think is going to be there backs up, they don't recognize it quickly enough to get to the spot they need to be, and it allows a linebacker or whoever to get through untouched. And when you allow someone to get untouched up the middle, it causes a lot of problems. The worst place you can have pressure in a pocket is straight up the middle. If you allow yeah, pressure up the A gaps, everything's going to yeah. hell. And that's why uh, you know, when um Herman or Zim dialed that up when Demetrius Davis got hit in the shoulder by Aubrey, that was I was like, Man, I you know, I'm from Minnesota, so I've I've seen those those Zim blitz packages for a long time, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. But the offensive line yeah. is much, much better than last year. And I think it's due mm-hmm. to getting some guys who have been on good offensive lines. You look at the Tyler Browns, you look at the Zach Bros, mm-hmm. the Evan Henrys. Mm-hmm. Those guys know what it takes to be a productive mm-hmm. and successful offensive line. And that experience has has been invaluable at times. Mm-hmm. And I think they're still going to get better, man. We're still, what, mm-hmm. through week seven, we still have half a season mm-hmm. to go. We'll we'll see how they keep progressing. They played really well. They played a little. I think they played better this weekend than they did against Alabama State. We'll see because mm-hmm. Brevin Allen and some of those guys on Campbell's defensive line. I think Brevin Allen 
is probably the best defensive end Jackson State's seen thus far. And it'll be a great test for mm. the tackles. And I think on the other on the flip side, the size of Campbell will be a great test. But what was your second question? Uh, my second question was about personnel. You know, we haven't seen Tyson Alexander get one carry or one reception. You know, um, it, it seems like Brett Bartoloni has only opened up a portion of the playbook because it seems like he has all kind of plays and packages for Cordarius Davis. It it just I don't know if he figured out the personnel personnel and and so yeah. I, and it is, is it just who practices the hardest? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it, it, from what I was, cause I, I can't talk about, I, I can't talk about what the coaches are seeing in practices. I'm not there. So I can't, yeah, I, yeah. I can't speak on that. But for me, I think Savion, the reason mm-hmm. he's taken the lead is he's the most consistent runner. He's the one who, mm-hmm thus far as taking care of the ball the best. And he has the size mm-hmm. that some of the other Jackson State running backs don't have. And also, people always like to say, well, this running back had this many rushing yards, this many yards per carry, this many rushing touchdowns. Ask any offensive coach. The number one thing mm-hmm. that sometimes determines how many snaps a running back gets on the field is how you pass block. And due to his mm-hmm. size and physicality, that is why Wilkerson has, I think, taken up a lot of the snaps is that he is the most consistent and capable pass blocker in the Jackson State running back room. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that Santee Marshall or Caleb Jolivet or any of those guys can't pass block. Let's just keep it, let's just keep it a buck. They don't have a lot of size. Mm-hmm. And so when a Colton Adams mm-hmm. comes through untouched, do you trust mm-hmm. Santee Marshall or um, mm-hmm. Caleb Jolivet to handle him one on one? Yeah, but like, so no, that's a good, that's a great question. No, you're right, Caleb. But one thing that's interesting, right? How does, like, why do you think Caleb Jolivet gets more carries than Tyson Alexander? Like, we haven't seen Tyson this entire season. And it's like, is he injured or what's what's going on? Either, I mean, he could be in, he he had a very significant injury. And sometimes players, RG3, and et cetera, yep. don't come back what they were. Maybe right now right, he just okay. isn't good enough to, to to get some time. Jack and and like Prom mm-hmm. says, we have a lot of talent. If mm-hmm. if you're not one of the best players at your position, you're not playing. So that's all I can leave it as, man. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know the behind the scenes, but hey, man, I appreciate you calling, man. I'm gonna get to these next few uh, callers, but thank you, man. Yep. All right. Yep. All right. Yep. Bye. Nine eight six eight, you're live. Hey, what's going on, sir? Uh, what's good, man? All right. Hey, how's it going, Blue? Hey, uh, kind of pissed off. I had me like a seven thousand dollar potential payout. A Gardner Webb didn't get beat by twenty four and a half points. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. man. Yeah, the five-team parlor. What the hell? Hey, uh, question, though. Um, I think Jackson State's going to be counted by 21 points. Uh, this is more of a question, more of a statement. Um, what I've seen from Campbell, 
I, I would agree that that North Carolina Central game was just a terrible matchup for Central. It's just still a good, solid team. But and they even then they won't get pressure from the quarterback, and they weren't sending any pressure. Um, I think what Campbell's going to give Jackson trouble is if the quarterback breaks containment. Um, guess I can't talk too much. Listen, what you say? I'm driving right now. Um, twenty-one points is steep. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. Listen, I'm not giving up who I'm predicting, and you have no idea. I have dreaded this week for a long time because today, what to right now it's nine fifty-one mine time. I have received multiple messages on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> asking me. If I'm picking, if I'm picking their favorite team, <laughs> so it's gonna be a long week for 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 Blue this week. But I don't know. I, I mean, 21 is tough. I do think when you're looking at let, let's look at it. The the one spot that worries me about Campbell in this matchup is linebacker. I don't know if they have a Colton Adams, uh, a James Green like Tennessee State had. The linebacker worries me a little bit now. Offensive line and defensive line, I think Campbell can hang in this game. I, I know people aren't giving him his due, and it's it's mainly because I most fans I've talked to have only watched one or two games. And for, for Campbell, Brevin Allen is that type of player. I'm telling you, you can say what you want about the offensive line for Jackson State, whatever. Brevin Allen is a guy who can change a game when he when he's on. Miles Rouser in the secondary is a guy who can change the game when he's rolling Chad Masco is a guy who could change the game when he's rolling. The question becomes, and I know this is going to sound crazy because you got Shador Haj Malik. This matchup is really going to come down to who can run the football better. And I know a lot of people are like, well, man, Shador's a Hosman candidate. Uh, Haj Malik is an all American. I'm telling you, you are going to whoever runs the football, the best will win this game. Because if Campbell's able to run the football, keep Jackson State's offense on the sideline and chew up the time of possession and put it in the end zone, and Jackson State can't run the football and gets those quick three and outs, it's going to get real dicey. And on the flip side, if the game just gets put all on Hodge Williams, I don't know if I trust him to go back there and try to pick apart a Jackson State secondary that is extremely, extremely talented and allowed Niles Gaddy and those defensive ends to pin their ears back without any threat of a run game. So I really do think the run game this weekend between Jackson State and Campbell is going to be key. Um, I watched about I watched about three Campbell games. I watched Central. I watched um, Robert Moore. I watched um, somebody else. Uh, I will say some of these eye makers don't know what the hell they're doing for predicting some of these games. Um, I want money by picking Delaware State. Delaware State was I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, well, that's all I got. I got a step on this road. I don't know if you can hear me. I don't know. Yeah, man, you're good. Hey, I appreciate you, man. Take it easy. Y'all in the comments are hell. I'm just going to let y'all know that. Y'all are disrespectful in the comments. But uh, (laughs) listen, however you can call in, get it in, Wayne. I love it. But um, (laughs) 
uh, Roosevelt, who has the best D-line. I think in terms of depth, Roosevelt, Jackson State has um, Jackson State has the best line in terms of depth. Brevin Allen is the best defensive lineman in the game. So Campbell has the best overall defensive lineman in Brevin Allen. Jackson State has the best overall unit in this game. Um, and, and man, Mr. Campbell, we, we're going to have to do it. A Jackson State Campbell show for sure. Cause it, it has been, it's already been a long week and it hasn't even technically started with all the DMS I've already got. And I've already been told by, by fans on both sides that if I don't pick their team, that I'm potentially a hater. So, um, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting week here on YouTube for me and on the website, but real quick. 48 to 8 for Jackson State. We kind of already talked about it due to the callers. Shador, five touchdowns, two interceptions. Absolutely shut down Bethune Cookman's offense. And I, I, okay, maybe y'all can correct me. I cannot remember the last game that a team got three safeties. I, maybe I'm wrong. If you guys have seen it, let me know because I've been watching football for a long time. It is going to be. <laughs> it, it it it's hard for me to just let me know the last game you personally watched with three safeties but i want to give a shout out to shane hooks and dallas daniels i'm t- i'm i'm a huge fan of dallas daniels and i really do think he can play at the next level he has i, I don't know what it is he just has that it factor with me watching him that i really do think he he has a potential to to work out somewhere moving forward and i think he was doing it he was he was doing it at a high level at, at at his previous at his previous school, but now that he's on the big stage at Jackson State, I really do think he's finally getting his just due at how good he is, uh, really and truly. And also Jackson State getting to the quarterback too, John Huggins, Niles Gaddy, Jeremiah Brown. They are, they are difference makers. I think Jeremiah Brown had two sacks, and I just want to tell you guys, I said. I said he has been a quiet star for that for that for that front four for Jackson State. And everyone in the chat said, man, Doyle's coming back. But just forget about Jeremiah Brown. With, with, with Doyle coming back, Jeremiah Brown won't do his thing. He had two sacks this weekend again. Jeremiah Brown quietly has been putting together a hell of a year for Jackson State. Man, let me let me pull up his um his his uh his stats his stats this year right now. I mean, the last two games he's had tackles for loss sacks and has has really been playing extremely well. So I just want to see. Hang on, I think someone said, well, two were the long snapper snapping over the punter's head. If I recall, it doesn't matter. He said, I've never seen three safeties. Don't be so sure, man. I'm telling you, do not be sure on that. People have guessed before. There was a lot of North Dakota State fans who were convinced I was picking them, and I did not. The broadcast. Okay, so it tied an FCS record. Jackson State will not be the underdog this weekend. If I had to guess, um, I think Jack Jackson State is probably going to be a, I would say anywhere from a seven to ten point favorite this weekend. I, I'm I'm putting my prediction out as soon as the line drops. I'll let you guys know the lines for FCS games usually drop around Friday, and I tweeted them out this weekend when the, some of the big guys, the big lines drop. Jackson State will be seven to ten point favorites this weekend. Just just going to uh throw that out there but real quick man uh this should the callers kind of stretched it out a little bit fam you 20 to 16 over grambling grambling falls to one in six one in three in conference and at, at halftime i was worried i'm just gonna let you guys know scotty was giving me absolute hell 
about this game. But, man, Mr. Campbell called in right when I started talking about the FAMU game. So let's get to Mr. Campbell. Mr. Campbell, you're live. Blue, nephew, great job. Let me just give you a suggestion so you won't have such a headache. I think what you need to do for this JSU Campbell game is do an NFL matchup type show. Because what bothers me, half the people that call in don't know anything about Campbell, and the other half damn sure don't know anything about Jackson State. And that's what bothers me. So I think you really need to do unit matchups versus unit matchups, key player matchups, let us know who the players are, because people just do not know. And I'm sitting up here listening to this show all night long, and it is very obvious they, they don't understand Jackson State offense. So they talking about, oh, they're doing this, doing that. And I'm like, bro, you could not have watched Jack State. And I know they don't know anything about Campbell. So I think for you, that's the show you need to do. You'll probably get 5,000 people watching that show. Now, the last thing, because I'm going to lead into, you're going to talk about FAMU and Grambling. Why is FAMU so undisciplined? I have not understood the level of penalties, because I think we had over 200 yards in penalties against Grambling. And we have consistently, every week, week in and out, have put penalties that have allowed teams to stay in the game, South Carolina State, Albany State, Grambling, and things like that. So it just really bothers me. So while I feel we're not going to lose another swag game because I just don't see a quarterback on the schedule that's just going to beat us. And frankly, the schedule works out for us other than the Alabama State game, which is in Montgomery, because I just don't see us losing Bragg. That's why I think we're just going to run the table ugly again, to be honest with you. But I wanted to say, nephew, great show. But please, for the life of Jesus, do a Campbell-JSU matchup because these folks that's calling in, they don't know Jackson State, and they don't know anything about Campbell. That's all I got. <laughs> hey, Mr. Campbell, I appreciate it. Oh, man. But now he's right. I think FAMU had 100 – and let's see, they had four, FAMU had 14 penalties for 172 yards this weekend. It was a sloppy game on both sides. It, it it was it was ugly to watch. I went back and watched this game because I was uh I was at the Southern Alcorn tailgate at that time. It, it both teams played sloppy, and the question becomes: What can Calvez become for Grambling's offense? I, he's a true freshman, so I I, I don't feel like you. <sighs> I don't feel like you could put a lot of pressure on him to say the least. This this guy's still trying to figure it out. He he didn't he he was not very efficient. 14 for 36. He put up 150 in a touchdown, didn't have a turnover, was sacked multiple times. Can can Calvez develop at the at the rate that Grambling needs him to? And next year, do you guys think do you think Hugh Jackson should go out and get a transfer portal quarterback, or do you think that Calvez can develop enough this year that Grambling and Hugh Jackson feel comfortable riding with Calvez going into next season? That That's the question for me moving forward because, listen, and, and the run game was was electric too. Calvez had 113 average over seven yards per carry. Maurice Washington, six carries again. All the – all the talk about he's healthy and once he gets in the game, it's going to change. Like I've never seen a player get more hype and do absolutely nothing thus far in the season when it, when it really counts in him and he is super talented. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's just, when are we going to see him get 15 to 20 carries in a game? He had the one big run against Jackson state and he had the one big game against, I think it was Northwestern state. 
what what where do where do we go from here? Because he's been healthy for three weeks now and has absolutely done not a single thing. He had 20 yards rushing on six carries, 3.3 yards per carry this week. I just I just don't know what to make about Grambling at this point. I really don't. Rash is legit, but all the rest of the wide receivers are questionable at best. And so I did, I just don't I just don't know where Grambling goes from here. And I think it's deeper than oh because at one point about two to about two weeks ago I was like maybe if they maybe if they would have kept uh maybe if they would have kept Art Briles things might have been a little bit different. But right now I just don't know if they have the talent at the skill positions to really compete at a high level, and and that's a real concern for me moving forward. And I, I don't think this season is a is a make or break it for for grambling but are you what is the narrative let me just ask you guys because you guys have have a, have a pulse of the situation as well if grambling finishes the season one and ten or two and nine what it what is the narrative surrounding grambling because i get it his i get i get it's his first year but i don't think grambling is a team that has one one and ten two and nine talent just, just, just in my personal opinion, I understand it's year one. I understand that we can, we can't jump on, well, we we can't jump on, we can't jump on Grambling, you know, as a, like oh that they could never be good. But you got to give me more than two, three wins in a season. I, I, I just, I, I got to get y'all's opinion on that. I'll, I'll kind of let the comments roll in, then we'll talk about the game of the week, man. And we'll get out of here. But I, I think Grambling has better talent than what they're showing. One in six. To to me doesn't doesn't make any sense for Grambling right now. So I just want I want to get y'all's uh, feelings on this game. But Grambling didn't earn a G back. I am tomorrow at the press conference. I really want to ask Hugh Jackson just about one the, the quarterback position and if he really sees Calvez moving forward as the quarterback and just where are all the pieces that we're supposed to be huge parts of this offense and Maurice Washington and um, what Faison Wilson and all these, and all these people that were supposed to be the game changers for Grambling. They just, just have not showed up. Just in my opinion, Grambling has no business only winning one or two games this year. I agree. I think they're better. They're a better team than one or two wins. Uh, let's see. Hugh has to go. I'm sorry if he doesn't get it together in season two. I don't know what to say. Grambling's worse. They have done better historically. I don't think the school or alumni will put up the money to buy out his contract, so he'll have time. And he should get time. It's just hey, you gotta you gotta get you gotta give me more than what you're giving me. Too many raw athletes trying to play quarterback. They're so behind in their development coming to college. You can't make it up with with coaching. Grambling needs to bring in some coaches. Hugh looks just like he did in the pros. Can't call plays. Ooh, that's tough. I like Calvez, the whole team not working together well, not disciplined. It's the coaching staff for Grambling. I was the only person saying Grambling. <laughs> Got to give Grambling a chance. Uh, he has a chance to be a solid QB. That's fair. They'll likely get a new OC. Probably. I, I don't. I don't think they keep Simon at OC. I'll be very, very surprised if Simon's calling the plays uh, next season. But real quick, uh, FCS game of the week, obviously, but. South Dakota State pulls off the 23-21 um, upset over North Dakota State in the Fargo Dome. And 
I just I'd want to say check the website, thebluebloodspod.com. My score prediction for this game was South Dakota State 23, North Dakota State 21. Hit it right on the money, called the upset, called the correct score somehow. This this was a game of of two of of momentum swings because North Dakota State they could have easily run away with this one early. They really that when when they took when they took that early twenty one to seven lead, I had people hitting me up saying it, it's over. Hunter Lipke went man just just went berserk early in this game. Cam Miller played a way better game than I was expecting. Two twenty seven two touchdowns. Mark Gronikowski was efficient, but didn't really do much through the air. Was sacked three times. The rushing attack is made all the difference. I told you guys, I thought Isaiah Davis was that guy. 114, a touchdown average to eight yards per carry about against this North Dakota State front seven. Amar Johnson even, 89, a touchdown average over seven yards per carry. South Dakota State put up 200 yards rushing, 5.6 yards per carry. I said I thought the rush it was going to come down to the rushing game. Now, South Dakota State gave up over 100 yards rushing for the first time this year, but they really and truly held Hunter Lipke in check. 58 yards rushing, less than four yards per carry, way, way below their, their season average. I thought the defense played really well. The Yankee Twins combined for 11 catches for over 100 yards. And for, Nor- for North Dakota State, DJ Hart was a positive. I know they lost, but DJ Hart really emerged. Four catches, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Outside of Zach Mathis, nobody was was really thought of as a, as a legit threat on the outside for North Dakota State. And I thought DJ Hart showed some showed some really good things. And maybe they they finally had a wide receiver to emerge. Adam Bach, no surprise there, leads South Dakota State in tackles in this game. Isaiah Stahlberg. And, and Graham Spalding had big games. And for North Dakota State, Michael Tutsi all over the place showed why he was an All-American. James Kazor and, and Luke Wirtz also had big games. Th- this game, to me, solidified why I, early the, or, and then in this offseason, you can check the article, I said that South Dakota State had a really, really good shot to win their first ever national title this year. In the spring, they made the national championship, came up one play short of beating Sam Houston State for the first ever national championship last year. Isaiah Davis was hurt. Mark Gronikowski misses the entire season. They have they have to go they had to go find a quarterback to to lead that team. They were missing so many pieces from that national championship run that they, they came up short in the semifinals. But with all the pieces they had coming back, with the momentum they had over North Dakota State, this is their third win over the Bison in a row. I think South Dakota State has an amazing shot if they can get it together in late in late November, early December, to make a run to the to the FCS national championship again and potentially win their first one in school history. And a lot of people there, I know Sonic Boom said, uh, anybody but the Dakotas winning the national title. Man, South Dakota State has not been that team. North Dakota State has carried the Dakotas to the national title consistently. Huge win for South Dakota State and and a huge season-defining win for them. They'll be number one in the top 25 come tomorrow afternoon, and the rest of the rankings are going to be pure chaos, and we'll get to that to close the show in just a second. Last caller here, 9221, you're live. Uh, Yes, sir. I I wanted to talk about two things. Uh, One is about uh, the judgment. Uh, Coach Brown has come and changed Jackson State, and then has had some ripple effect with the swag. So as a Jackson State fan, all my 
I'm looking at how can we keep Coach Prime and keep this movement moving forward. And I wanted to talk about the TV deal or revenue. Because one thing, I'm, I'm listening to Coach Prime unlike other uh, JSU fans. And I'm listening to Coach Prime. His main concern is, outside of the football stuff, is his staff, taking care of his staff. So I'm looking at, okay, how can we get extra money to pay these coaches to keep them happy? Because me, I want to keep Prime happy. I want to keep him so happy he stays here at least five to ten years. So I looked at this new docuseries and, that he's doing in, uh, in conjunction with uh, Amazon Prime. And so I said, okay, Amazon Prime is getting into the football game. My question to you, because I'm coming from the standpoint of, can Jackson State get an exclusive deal with Amazon Prime to show all of Jack State games with the the leverage being, of, of course, we have Prime and the, the, the momentum that we have, but also scheduling some of the top 25 or top 15 FCS schools to produce this, you know, uh, this entertainment product that will draw fans in to watch it on Amazon Prime, to bring in the extra revenue to keep building the program up. Because I know one thing, Prime doesn't want the program to stay stagnant. And in order to bring in better recruits, we have to keep building new facilities, making them uh, state-of-the-art. We have to, you know, uh, take care of the kids, as he say. So my question to you is, uh, one, but I'll just then say it, I apologize. But one, uh, the ESPN deal that the SWAC has, is that exclusive right? Can't, and if it is, how long is that contract? And what do you think about the possibility of them trying to get exclusive rights? I'm not talking about the SWAC, but exclusive rights for Jackson State football to be shown on Amazon Prime. So I'm, off the top of my head, I don't know how long the ESPN contract is. I'm, I think it still has a few more years. The, the reason that's not possible is everyone looks at the Notre Dame deal. Let's just take that one. They had an exclusive deal with NBC to air Notre Dame football games. The reason they were able to do that is because they were an independent football organ- like program. They weren't affiliated with the conference for football, so they were able to negotiate their own independent TV deal. The fact that Jackson State is in the SWAC means they could not go out and negotiate like their own primary TV deal. Um, so Amazon wouldn't be able to buy all the rights to Jackson State games because the primary rights are always going to be associated with the SWAC. Now, the secondary rights, the 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 whatever rights, other rights there are after that, possibly you could make some sort of deal, but I'm telling you, the SWAC, owns all the primary rights to all the schools in the conferences. So the only way that would be able to happen is if Jackson State left the SWAC and went independent, which will never happen. And really and truly, independent programs are never successful unless you have a 
a ridiculous financial backing, backing like Notre Dame, BYU, Liberty, or someone like that. So I don't, I don't think that would be possible due to the fact that the SWAC owns the primary rights to Jackson State and every other school in the conference. Okay, well, let me ask you this. It's possible for just the football team to go independent of the SWAC, right? Yes. Okay, with that being said, I know what you're saying about them going independent. It's hard to do. But no other school has Coach Prime, which draws attention. So you mean to tell me if the football team went independent and we couldn't find 11 people to play against? It's still hard because here's here's what you faced with the scheduling. Let's say you're really good. There's going to be teams who don't want to take that shot of losing, so they won't schedule you. There's some there's some teams who still won't schedule you just to just because they they don't have openings, just whatever other general reasons. But the the thing that would hurt Jackson State is you wouldn't have any conference payout moving forward you wouldn't get now you could negotiate your own tv deal but would it be enough to make up what you're losing if you leave the conference and let's just let's just be honest here notre dame is the third most watched football program over the last five seasons only behind i believe it was um ohio state and i believe alabama they average like somewhere eight, nine million viewers per game over that five year span or something like that. Do you really believe it? I, I want you, I just want you to answer honestly because I know the real answer to this. Do you think Jackson State can average anywhere from seven to 10 million views per week over a five year span if they went independent? I, I, okay, I'm going to give you an honest answer and I hope you're ready for it. I do for one reason. Now, it's it's because of who we play. If we play white school, every black person in America will tune in. If we play white schools like North Dakota State, if we play a USM, if we get an Ole Miss, I'm not talking about next year. I'm just saying, you know, two years from now, we, we have the talent. If we play an Ole Miss, if we play – the white school, because no HBCU, and, and I've, I've been, you know, I'm 42, and my 42 years has ever knocked off a known PWI. So if we play the PWI, uh, Jackson State, uh, I think that at least 10 million, not at least 6 million black people we watch it around the country, even people who don't even watch football, um, because yeah. Yeah. I think they would think that Prime has a chance. And then on top of that, I think another 5 million white people will watch it just to see this PWI put an end to this uh, showboating and ego tripping, as they would call it, which I don't. But I think, yes. Uh, okay, I get where you're going with it. I understand. But the history does not say that because 
with let's just say because the argument let's just let's go back to this all season the argument was nobody cares about jackson state versus who would insert whatever pwi fcs school in the country no everyone agrees that jackson state southern jackson state south carolina state in the celebration bowl jackson state whoever would be a bigger draw than Jackson State playing any out-of-conference team in the country. It is – that's proven. And the attendance shows it. The viewership shows it. It Like, Jackson State Campbell could be on ABC this weekend. The Celebration Bowl in January would probably still outdraw that game at the end of the day. And, mm-hmm. I, yes, I, I, w- I would almost guarantee it. Okay, so the last celebration bowl got what two million? Yeah, I think it was somewhere in the two million range. Now, okay, let's look at the history because this is new history. Name me one HBCU that really had a shot at knocking off a well-known PWI. Uh, North Carolina A and T just a handful of years ago. Like what? What was okay. that year they went undefeated? Against who? Didn't they knocked off a top ten team in the FCS that year? I think it was like Furman. Furman? Oh yeah, no. Well, when when I'm talking to FCS, it has, see, I was talking about FBS and FCS. But when I was talking about the FCS, I'm talking about the North Dakota State because when we're looking at entertainment, okay. Um. Don't nobody know who Thurman is, um, and I'm and I'm speak I'm speaking from the black community, okay, from from L.A. to New York. Nobody knows who Thurman is. You understand what I'm saying? Now, when you talk about a Mississippi State or an Ole Miss, it becomes uh, something historical. Knocking off a Thurman, that's not historical. You know, knocking off a, a, a Ole Miss or a Mississippi State. Or knocking off, a, uh, or even playing a UCLA in a great game, to me that's historical. But Thurman, I don't even know where they are at, and I don't think most black people know where they are unless they're from that area. Would you agree to that? That's, I mean, I guess yes. Furman is definitely uh, oh, less known than Mississippi State. I'll, I'll give, I'll give you that. So to me, we're not in the football business anymore. We're in the entertainment business. It's kind of like boxing. I want pay-per-view. I want I want to play against teams if we have the product on our end as far as Jackson State. I want – if we had the, the, the talent two, three years down the road, and let's say not even independent, but let me just say even if we went to another conference, our out-of-conference games have to jump up. If Jackson State played – a Tennessee, a Tennessee, the University of Tennessee. How many people do you think are watching that? Um, hell, man, I don't know. I th- probably somewhere around f- maybe four million, and a, and a lot of them would be um, Tennessee fans. Okay, and that's what I'm saying. So you don't get the Tennessee fans, the, the ones who it, it's not even about Jack State. You got fans out here from these PWIs that want to shut prime up. 
Let's put him in his place. So you're going to have those fans. But I guarantee you, like my auntie in Chicago, she doesn't watch football at all. But because of she knows who Deion Sanders is, she knows about HBCU. I guarantee you that if Jackson State played Tennessee with a real chance of beating or even competing with a Tennessee, I guarantee she would uh, tune in like it was the Super Bowl. Because, you know, a lot of fans watch the Super Bowl don't even like football. But it became it becomes an entertainment thing. And we throwing in the historical uh, aspect of it. Because I've never heard of an HBCU that knocked off a real PWI. I'm talking about like a power PWI. I've never, I've never heard of it. So I don't want to take up too much time, but I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm looking at it from the standpoint of we need to develop a package, uh, a product at Jackson State that can garner the necessary TV ratings to leverage to bring more money in. Because we're not going to get it from the state. You know, Mississippi is the, probably one of the most racist states in the country. So we have to look for other avenues to get the money from private donors or by creating an entertainment product that we can leverage into TV revenue. So that, that's, that's all I wanted to say on it. But hey, man, I appreciate, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Okay. Well, listen, man, I, I was going to end the show. If, if anyone wants to call in so we can end the show on, on a high note, go ahead. You are into the call by number 701-779-9585. Um, huge weekend of football this weekend. Again, I, I do want to say I appreciate everyone down in Baton Rouge who, uh, who, who I got to meet, every, everyone who invited me over the, to their tailgates and just, just came up and uh, <laughs> came up and talked to me. Man, you guys in the comments are wild. I'm just, I'm just going to let you know that. Um, <laughs> but listen, this weekend going, going to be, uh, going to be in Chattanooga and, uh, for that Chattanooga Mercer game, it should be a top 15 matchup. Uh, anyone, anyone who knows, I told you guys, I couldn't get credentialed in Jackson for, for this, uh, Campbell game. So listen, we're going elsewhere. Just, it'll be all good. I'll still be covering this week. Uh, we're going to do a full, um, full breakdown on on the Campbell Jackson State game this weekend, man. Listen, Calvin Calvin's a good caller, man. But like Calvin, end the show off real quick, man. Then we'll do final announcements and get out of here. Calvin, you're live, man. Like I need you to end the show on a on a high note, man. Well, yeah, I'm gonna pop me a couple of mileys and have me by the fifth of rum. Um, Coach Green, that last call it took you over for the headache out because I ain't uh, what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> Why did you entertain there for so long? Man, listen. Okay, here, here's how here's how I look at it. <laughs> he, uh, you know, for me with the call lines, like I I understand, and sometimes people just got to get their thoughts out, and maybe the longer they talk, the the feedback they get when they get off the call from the chat might 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 you know change their perspective. Man, I, I don't want to be rude to anyone, man, but uh. I'll just say this: the, the the views of the last caller are not represented by the Blue Bloods, comma LLC, <laughs> and we're going end the, we're going to end the night on a on a high note. Uh, well, last day, last caller said, "Who won a big game?" Didn't Alcorn beat McNeese this past year? Just a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, Alcorn <laughs> beat McNeese. I mean, North, North Carolina and Tennessee beat Jacksonville State that year. They were undefeated. Yeah, they beat Grambling. Almost beat Arizona. What was he talking about? Yeah. I, I'm, anyway, I'm with you. That's my hot <laughs> Hey, man, I appreciate you calling in, man. Thank you. Oh man! All right, we're shutting down the call lines for the night. We, we entertaining night of calls to say to say the least. Um, so I was traveling. I didn't have a. I, there's. I'm still kind of tweaking my top twenty five. So I just want to preface this. I'm gonna give you guys what I have now. There might be a few changes. I'm talking about a team moving up a spot or, or down a spot, just depending. I have like an entire formula Excel sheet that I use to evaluate teams and I'll, I just got to double check it but here's what the top 25 should look like tomorrow in my ballot I'll be releasing an article and I'll release an official a graphic uh, tomorrow but South Dakota State of course jumps to number one Sac State jumping up to number two Montana State at three Weber at four I got North Dakota State falling all the way to fifth Holy Cross jumps to six. Mercer, Jackson State, Incarnate Word, William & Mary, Delaware, Chattanooga all move up one spot due to Montana's loss. Idaho jumps all the way to 13th. Montana to 14th. Sanford, SEMO, Southern Illinois, North Dakota, Richmond, Rhode Island round up the top 20. UT Martin, Elon, Fordham, Austin P and Campbell round out the top 25 now. So just to kind of give you guys, um, I don't expect the top 10 to change any, but the changes could come somewhere between like 12 to 20 range. But just for, just to explain my top five, South Dakota state's obvious. Number one, the reason I ordered Sac state, Montana state and Weaver state, the way I did is because uh, it's, it's just one FBS win dominance. And Sac State absolutely put on an app, uh, just just a masterclass. And also, we have a common game, Eastern Washington. I felt like Sac State was just absolutely dominant. So I think Sac State right now, in terms of the analytics, has been the best team this season. So I put them just above Montana State. Montana State and Weber getting ready to play. That will work itself out. So I just put three and four. North Dakota State down to five, a two-point loss to your in-state rival, who's the number one team in the country. I think I think four spot drop is enough for them. Holy Cross, Mercer, Jackson State, UIW is only separated by a hair. I think all those teams can be ordered however you want to order them. And I think Mercer this weekend has a huge test against number 12, Chattanooga. Whoever wins that game will have a strong argument to be at that number six spot. UIW, William & Mary, and Delaware have had great seasons. And the reason I had Idaho jumping so high, Idaho has two losses this year. Both are to FBS schools, and both were competitive into the fourth quarter. Idaho is undefeated at the FCS level with a win over a number three school on the road. I thought they did they did enough to jump into the top 15, and the reason people are going to be shocked. The reason I have Montana dropping so far down is because they have played one of the worst strength of schedules in the top 15, and they have not looked super impressive against Idaho State, and they lost against Idaho at home. I think Chattanooga has 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 a better has won a better strength of schedule, a better resume. Delaware has an FBS win and a top twenty-five win. William and Mary has a top twenty-five win and an FBS win. Same for Incarnate Word. I, I just think right now Montana is it, it, going to be there. Um, is they'll have their chances, but right now I don't think they're a top twelve team in the country. Sanford, obvious. Um, 
No, I didn't say goodbye to Elon. Elon's a 22. Elon's still at 22. Elon has a top 10 win on its resume, and their resume looks really good, and that's why I put them above Fordham, Austin P, and Campbell. I, I don't I don't think Elon should have dropped out of the top 25 for what happened this weekend. They have, they have a resume right now that still puts them in my top 25. Uh, right now so that's that's what that's where it'll be right now and there might be some minor changes as i kind of double check everything make sure all my stats are correct but this is what you should see tomorrow um i definitely will be in jackson uh my first ever jackson state game in jackson if if jackson state hosts the swag championship i'm going to get credentialed through the swag office covering the game for the for the swag office and I'll be in Jackson for the SWAC championship as long as Jackson continues to look like they're going to host it, which it looks like they're going to do that. So I should be in Jackson come the SWAC championship, and I'll be my first game over there in the vet. I will be on the SWAC coaches call tomorrow. I have a bunch of questions. And like I said, I'm working some things out with Campbell. I'm talking with their SID. The goal is to potentially have head coach Mike Minter from Campbell on the show for like a short me and him press conference to preview the Jackson State game. I want to give you guys um, as much coverage as, as as I can on this game. Uh, let's see. That's I agree. Blue Campbell versus A&T go. That, I, I, I'm not going to make a prediction on that game so far out, but I, I might be at that game. The 29th, my two destinations are kind of – uh, the, the the two destinations right now for not next week but the week after that is Campbell versus A&T and Elon versus Delaware those are going to be the two games I'm deciding on I applied for credentials to both and then I'm just going to see which one which trip will be a little bit um cheaper what does credentials mean for you blue listen so the the reason I'm so big on credentials Roosevelt is I, I mean I have no problem doing whatever but this podcast right now is completely funded by me all the videos I make are completely funded by me. All the travel um, is funded by me. So the reason that um, the reason I, I, I need to, I wanted to be credentialed Roosevelt is because this is one of my jobs. And so I want to be able to make content. I want to be able to get videos and pictures and build up my resume because uh, unlike a lot of the people in this space where people kind of get grouped into YouTubers, a lot of the YouTubers don't do this for like a living. They're not in sports media. So for me, this podcast is, is a way to get things on my resume to show that I can do pictures, to show that I can be a professional and build up the Blue Bloods as a sports media company rather than just a podcast. And so that that's that's why credentials do mean something to me in terms of being there, making connections and making content to show that like we actually cover FCS football and that we uh we do it at a high level. And I feel like when you look at our pictures, the 1400 club used one of our Shador pictures and some of the schools have used the pictures that I've produced and some of the, the highlights that I've produced in their content. And so that's why I want to keep that going, man, because every week that I'm not producing content, man, we, this platform that you guys have helped build doesn't continue to grow. And so that's why it's, um, that that's why it's so important to me for SIDs and schools to respect the blue bloods as like an, a legit um, media organization, because to me, we might not have been, been around as long, but I think the content that is produced here is just as good as hero sports is just as good as HBCU game day is just as good as whatever, um, whatever organization you want to throw out there. And so that's the standard for me. And so schools or SIDs that don't put that type of respect on us, then um, 
then I don't then I, I don't reciprocate that and I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna spend my hard-earned money to go down there and, and not produce content for them. So that's this that's that's why it's important to me. Uh let's see. I got you, Mr. Campbell. We're gonna I'm gonna definitely ask him about the penalties. Swag hot seat, who needs ice back to drive? I'm gonna get into that on the next show, man. Definitely might be going to to homecoming for North Carolina AT. Oh, I'm interested in your prediction on the JSU Campbell game. I expect this to be a really good game. Um, I, I'm excited for it. Definitely like the stream before you get out of there. Get out of here. Let's see. Shout out to JSU, IW, Fordham, Alcorn, TSU, Gremlin for covering the spread and SCSU. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let's see. What happened? Nah, so um, Brandon uh, was ball co-host. I actually saw him this weekend. Uh, he lives in Baton Rouge, and um, I, I got dinner with him the night I, the night I was uh, in uh, – the night I was in Baton Rouge before the game, man, he, listen, he's got a, he, he's an accountant. He's got a real job. He got a degree and he's putting that to great use, making a lot of money doing what he's doing. He's got him a wife and it's really hard to convince because at the time we were doing it, man, we really weren't as big as, as we are now. And so I understand, man, he had to, he had to go handle his, his professional business and, and handle, you know, his family and everything. But man, me and him are still good friends. He just don't do the podcast anymore. So yeah, I kind of took it over. Appreciate you guys. Hey, Mr. Campbell, I don't get enough credit. I, I've, I've heard enough. I, I've been told by some A&T people that, look, I need to be there. They said they said they said it will. They what I was told by some A&T fans, Mr. Campbell, I'm not speaking for for my experience. <laughs> they said they got the best homecoming. So I, I got to go see it. I, I've, I've seen Alabama A&M's homecoming. I've seen Alabama State's homecoming. I got to go see what A&T is doing up there in North Carolina. Is use your content, charge them. There you go, man. We need sweat ticker digital blue for JSU. Yeah, man. Um, I, I was a psychology major in undergrad, and when I first started the show, which I ended up leaving the program now to like, I was last year I was in a PhD program for neuroscience up in K Kansas State. So um, I ended up deciding to switch careers mid degree, and now I'm now I'm in sports media. So yeah, but yeah, I got a bachelor's in psychology, and I was I was in a, a phd program for neuroscience up until what was it like last december or something like that so yeah <laughs> of course they would say that oh uh, let's see well if i if i may ask who do you kind of see playing in the swag championship if i had to make my swag championship prediction today i think um jackson state and give me oh man give me southern i think it's gonna be jackson state southern i think southern oh no because southern plays at famu oh this is this is this is going to be um this is going to be controversial i think it's jackson state pv because here's here's my thinking Alcorn. um i don't see Alcorn or southern beating jackson state right now so they both have two losses in the conference and southern would have the tiebreaker um and then I think Southern loses to um, FAMU. So I, I give me PV right now, just right now, Juice. And and by next week, that that could uh that could definitely change. No, I graduated from Auburn, man. Then I went to Kansas State for graduate school. Ant, it's the bomb and spirit of celebration. Please ask Coach Prime what what's with them going for it on fourth down instead of punting the ball, and why don't they use running backs to pick up short yardage in fourth down? I got you, Diamond. I, I'll try to get that question in. 
Uh, see, Jiho is, is only in the marketing area. You'll find uh, otherwise as you work the swag. I got you, man. I, 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 I'm I just excited. I want to get to FAMU, so I'm coming too. In Cat Homecoming of Raid, I used to live there. Um, possibly, man. If I if I can make the sports media thing work, then no. But oh, you know, I'm never going to say never. Uh, JSU versus PV due to PV schedule. Uh, PV has the easiest schedule. I definitely agree. FAMU – uh, homecoming is a flat out must see. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be making it, man. I, I only I can only go one location each week, but yeah, I'm definitely gonna make my way around. Bragg is up on the list. I really want to get to a game in Bragg. The vet, I want to experience um, A and T, and then I'm trying to think. Um, Montana, Montana State are are two are two stadiums I want to get to. Fargo Dome, of course, and Wayne. Shout out to your Tennessee Volunteers. Do not worry, man. We're going to talk about it tomorrow. Check me out on Frankly Speaking Sports, Wayne. We're definitely talking that Tennessee game. And then also on the Coach's Corner with Coach Fred from Alcorn. We're going to be talking about it. But, guys, I'm going to get out of here. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Hit the like button on your way out. Subscribe to the channel. I'll be back tomorrow with Alcorn Southern highlights. Also with some press conference highlights. I'll let you know about the Mike Mentor interview potentially this week. And then also got the roundtable this week. And, and a bunch of other shows, FCS preview on Wednesday. Diamond, appreciate the donation. Absolutely, absolutely appreciate that. But guys, until next time, the Blue Bloods are out. Mm-hmm.